Today I would like to bring to you a, a one standalone sermon on a topic or on a doctrine that has been uh, impressed upon my heart for some years now, and especially in the last few months, as a need to bring to you, the congregation, to be reminded of these truths. And the doctrine, the topic I would like to address to you and bring to you from God's Word is the theme and doctrine of regeneration. How many of you have word, I've heard the word regeneration? Okay, most of you have. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Titus 3, verses 4 through 5, clearly speak about this word verbatim, regeneration, like a new genesis. Well, this morning, I would like for us to look at the theme of regeneration, and we will be looking, uh, we will start looking at John chapter 3, but really we'll be looking at all of Scripture and looking at a number of passages that deal with the theme of regeneration. So I encourage you to open, for the beginning, uh, Scripture to John chapter 3. If you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, we encourage you to find a Find our passage in the Bible provided in the chair in front of you on page, under, uh, page number 887. For those of you who have been used to hearing um, expositional sermons, which work through a book, one passage at a time, uh, today we will not do that, and we will do a sermon on this doctrine, and we will look at, at pretty much all or, or most of the passages that deal with this topic uh, of Scripture um, of regeneration. Next week, if you are hungry for expositional preaching, next week we'll start that in the book of James. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. Here's the word of the Lord. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, it is a privilege and a joy to be able to hear your revelation to us about this important matter of, of regeneration. Father, would you open our hearts through the power of your Spirit to see these truths as you have revealed them to us? Speak to our hearts, we pray, by the power of your Spirit, for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's three broad points I'd like for us to consider this morning. 
The first one is, why should we be interested in regeneration? Why should we be interested in regeneration? And here's four reasons why we should be interested in regeneration. Because Jesus makes it very clear that one cannot see the kingdom of God without being born again. Or one cannot enter the kingdom of God without being born again. Look at verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, or that phrase could also mean born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's, let's be very clear, friends. People can see a religious organization. People can see church gatherings. People can enter the physical church. The people can attend the, the gatherings of believers and still not be born again. But they will not see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above. Jesus seems to make this new birth as a qualifier to be able to see the kingdom of God, as a, if you will, as a, as a prerequisite. A friend, if Jesus is so clear that not having the new birth makes one unable to see the kingdom of God and to enter it, that thought should give us each of us should give us chills of whether and, and make us reflect whether or not we understand what this new birth is. If Jesus makes it to be so important, we want to be sure we understand what it is. The second reason why we should be interested in this truth, this doctrine of regeneration, is because People can be very religious and yet not be regenerate. People can be very religious and not be regenerate. Notice to whom Jesus is speaking these words, this need for, for a new birth. He's not saying these words to, uh, to a, a terrible person. He's not saying these words to an adulterer. He's not saying these words to a prostitute. He's not saying these words to a drug addict. He's saying these words to a religious person. He was not only very religious, but Nicodemus was a spiritual leader. In verse 10, Jesus calls Nicodemus a teacher of, of Israel. Yes, even him as a teacher of Israel needed to be confronted with the need of the new birth. Now, think about it for a moment. The knowledge that Nicodemus had as a teacher, the knowledge of, the, of God's Word at that time, his religious role as a leader, his activism to be a religious leader, and all the things he would do religiously were not able to qualify him to be able to see the kingdom of God. Friends, how often today people become content in an outward religious activism. They become content in knowing much about the Bible. They believe in Jesus and in His miracles. They may teach Sunday school. Some may even preach God's Word and yet be unregenerate and lack the new birth. It is possible. Jesus in Mark chapter 7 brings this accusation against the religious people of Israel. He says, quoting the prophecy of, of Isaiah, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts 
is far from me. Scripture presents us with other examples of people who live out a, a devoted religious life, yet do not possess a new heart or a new birth. So we should be interested in regeneration because people can be very religious and yet not be regenerate. Here's a third reason why we should be interested in the doctrine of regeneration. Because people can experience false conversions. Because people can experience false conversions. In the text prior to the one we just read in, in John 3, prior to that in John 2, if we look at what happened in John 2 verses 23 to 24, here's what John writes. Now when he, namely Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when he saw, when he saw or when they saw the signs that he was doing. Many believed in his name. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what is in man. On the backdrop of that, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in, in verse 11 of chapter 3. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Even if people believed in Jesus because of the miracles, Jesus confronts them with this accusation, you still don't believe our testimony. Jesus knew that people were excited just because of the miracles. Their faith in Him, however, was spurious. It's not a saving faith. We see an example of the same kind of um, false conversion, if you will, in the book of Acts, in the story of Simon the Magi. In Acts chapter 8, verse 13, Simon uh, in, in Samaria heard the gospel. He responded to it. He repented and believed. He got baptized, and yet his heart was not changed. Peter rebuked him and said, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You neither, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. Wow. For your heart is not right before God. It is possible to go through what looks like a Christian conversion, and yet that to be actually a false conversion. Now, how can you tell the difference between a religious person and someone who, who has truly been born again, born from above? There, there are a few tests that the Bible gives us. Um, and I'm not going to be able to speak about all of them today, but for instance, let me just give you some examples. There are people who want Christ to save them from hell, but not from their own self-will. Love what Arthur Pink says. People want to, believe, to be delivered from the wrath to come, but they wish to retain their self-will and self-pleasing. But authentic conversion is manifested by a desire to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and then follow Jesus. Where Christ saves, He subdues the spirit of self-will, and He plans a genuine and a powerful and a lasting desire and determination to follow God, to please Him. Other people want Christ to save them, but they do not want Christ to make them holy. They just want fire insurance, but have no desire to become like God. Or they have no desire to put God above everything else. They are okay to put God up there in the top three or four priorities of their lives, 
but other things like their own family or their own happiness or their own comfort is the ultimate God, is the ultimate idol that they put on the throne of their lives. Friends, if you think this is hard language that does not characterize what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, remember the, 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 the story of the rich young ruler who claimed to have obeyed God in all his commands? Jesus told him, obey the commands, and he said, I have from youth. I've obeyed all of them but he was not willing to put God above his possessions. His heart was not changed. Even though externally he obeyed the commandments of God. Friends, here's how we should be cautious about false conversions. Just because someone desires to change his life does not mean that they are regenerate or born from above. Just because someone is willing to change and even start obeying God's commands, or at least some of God's commands, does not mean that they have experienced a change of heart, a regeneration. All of this is to awaken us to the reality that people can pose to be religious, even appear to be right with God, even recite the sinner's prayer and go through the conversion experience, yet in reality they have not been regenerated or born from above. Another reason why we should understand regeneration, a fourth reason why we should be interested in regeneration is because it helps us to understand why some people respond to the gospel and others don't. It helps us understand why some people respond to the gospel and others don't. Why is it that some people do say yes to Jesus? Some people do respond to Christ and others don't. We might say, well, because some choose to reject Him and some choose to respond to Him. I agree. That's true. But why? Why is there a difference in choice? Why is there a difference in, in the will? The answer is because of regeneration. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 14, we are told about the conversion of Lydia. And the way Luke describes why is it that Lydia started to pay attention to the Word of God. Here's how Luke describes Lydia's conversion. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord operated on her heart so she could pay attention to the gospel and respond to it. You know, friends, this promise of the Lord operating on the heart in order to to make it possible for us to respond was a promise given by God in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, I mean, chapter 36, the passage we read earlier in our service. I want to remind you just two of those verses in Ezekiel 36, verse 27, I'm sorry, verse 26 and 27. God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put it within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. It is God who promised to do this exchange of hearts, this cleansing of idols, this giving of his spirit in order to enable man to respond to God and to do what God says. The text in Ezekiel 36 gives us the biblical explanation why people will be enabled to respond to God adequately. It is because God will regenerate their hearts. So regeneration helps us understand why some people respond to Christ and others don't. Four reasons why we should be interested in the doctrine of regeneration. Now let's go to the second point. What is regeneration? So far I just 
I wanted to, to, to help you understand why is it important for us to understand this teaching well and biblically. What is regeneration? Regeneration is a key part of the overall experience of, con- of salvation or conversion or getting saved. Now, let's be very clear. When we use the language of conversion, people use it in different ways. People mean different things when they use the word conversion. I'm going to start with a very broad category or very broad definition. Uh, think of, of a person who might convert to Islam or they might convert to Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or other religions. Uh, conversion in that context would refer to a person's decision to start following the teachings of this particular religion. It's a decision that someone makes to start following another set of beliefs, whatever those beliefs might be. If we bring that language and that definition in, in a Christian setting, we might say conversion is the decision a person makes to repent of their sin and trust in Christ for salvation. But friends, if that's all we think about Christian conversion, namely only what man does, only what man responds, we are deeply misinformed about what it means to be a Christian and to become a Christian. If conversion refers to what a person does to respond to Christ in a saving way, then regeneration is what happens prior to us being able to respond to God in repentance and faith. Regeneration is the work that God does in us to awaken us, to bring us to life so that we are enabled to respond to God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, we're told that when a person is unsaved or unregenerate, he is dead in his sins. Here's how Paul describes the state of, of the unregenerate. And you who were dead, I'm sorry, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is what we were prior to being regenerate. The problem of people who are not saved in reality, truly saved, is not simply that they are in sin, but they are dead in sin. We're not simply tainted with sin. We are dead in sin. And dead people cannot come to life on their own. They don't want to. And they can't. On this backdrop of man's total inability to respond to God because of being dead to sin, regeneration is a secret act of God in which He imparts new life to the dead heart. In this sense, regeneration is an act of God to awaken our souls from death to life. And as Ephesians 2.5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. God doesn't make us alive with Christ when we are in a neutral place spiritually, sort of half there, half not. God makes us alive with Christ even while we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Regeneration is the act by which God makes us alive to Him. We come to spiritual life from being dead. There's other scriptures and other images that speak about this idea of regeneration. For instance, the book of James 
gives us another picture of regeneration. Instead of the language of, of making us alive, as we've seen in Ephesians 2, the book of James uses the language and the imagery of being brought forth. James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Did you hear that? By his own will, he brought us forth. In Ephesians, going back to Ephesians, the, the new life uh, is also described as, as God's workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. And, and it's also described as the new man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, regeneration is described as a new creation. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But for John, the passage we read here, ahead of before us, for the gospel of John, regeneration is described to the imagery of the new birth or being born from above. A birth by the Spirit. In the letter of 1 John, he uses the phrase, born of God, several times. So, when this birth happens inside of us, it enables us to see the kingdom of God. Prior to that, people see religious organizations. People see religious activism. But after we're born from above, born of the Spirit, we actually see the kingdom of God. And that doesn't refer simply to heaven after we die. It also refers to the reign of God among us while we're still here on earth. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is among you. But only the people who are born from the Spirit are able to see it. Only the people who are born from the Spirit are able to realize that the reign of God is real, and it demands our allegiance, it demands our loyalty, it demands our surrender, even here on earth. That's why we repent and believe, because we come to believe that the kingdom of God is a real thing, even here on earth. So what is regeneration? I want to back up, and after looking at these pictures of how the Bible describes the regeneration, I want to remind you of these pictures. It's a new birth a new experience of being born of God, a coming to life, an experience of being made alive, a new creation of being brought forth. And besides these biblical pictures of what regeneration is, there's four things I'd like to, to share with you to make sure we understand about regeneration based on these images and based on, on these texts of Scripture. So four other things about what regeneration is now that we've looked at the biblical pictures of regeneration. It is solely the work of God. God doesn't ask us, or God doesn't need our will to actually make us alive with God. Now, don't get me wrong. In the process of salvation and conversion, there is a place where, and, and there's very ample biblical commands that man must respond to the gospel by repentance and faith. But prior to that, prior to man's ability and actually act of deciding to turn to God in faith and, and repentance, God regenerates us. And when God does that work, he simply does it on his own will. Here are some biblical evidences of that truth. John 1, 12, 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Clearly, verse 12 speaks about the need to receive God and to, to, to receive Christ. And when, when we... When we do that, we become children of God. But John in verse 13 clarifies that this actually becoming a children of God is actually a new birth. It's not just adoption. 
like Paul speaks about, becoming a children of God by adoption. John speaks about a different reality, about a new birth. We are born. And look at verse 13. Who were born? We become children of God who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, our human will does not contribute to this new birth. This new birth is not physical in nature, nor is it called by the will of the flesh, nor is it called by the will of man, but by the will of God. Friends, just as none of us had a choice or a will in whether or not we would be born physically. We simply were born. Someone else acted, and we came to life physically. In a similar way, our spiritual birth, if we look back at really what causes our spiritual birth, it is caused by someone else's will, not ours, but God's. Second thing we want to understand about this, what regeneration is, is that it's a mysterious work. It's a mysterious work. We don't know when it happens. When Jesus tries to explain to Nicodemus how this new birth happens, notice the illustration that Jesus gives to Nicodemus about the wind. Look at verse 7 and 8. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We may see the effects of the work of the wind. You may hear its sound. But you don't know where it's coming from and where it's going. There's a mysterious nature to it. In a similar way, the work of regeneration is mysterious to us. And that's why it's actually unconscious in our own hearts. We don't actually know when it happens. But we know what it produces once it happens. It produces repentance and faith. That's a third thing that regeneration is. It enables us to respond in repentance and faith. It may help us to understand the doctrine of regeneration, if we understand the order of the events in the process of salvation, God calls people to repent and believe the gospel. Yet all don't respond, do they? Why? Some respond and, and some don't. Well, we would say again, because some reject the message and others receive it. But why do some reject it and others receive it? Why do they make that different choice? And the answer is because God quickens their spirit and brings them to life. So they begin to see their utter sinfulness, their utter helplessness. They become convinced of the dreadfulness of God's wrath against their sin, but also they become convinced of God's solution against their sin. And they become convinced of God's plan of salvation through Jesus, that the only way they can be saved from the wrath to come is by entrusting themselves in the sacrifice of Christ. And if they turn to faith and repentance, if they turn to God in this way and follow Him, they become followers of God. They become convinced. Their soul awakens to this news of the gospel. And God infuses them with, with life that the gospel starts making total sense. But more so, the gospel, calls, the gospel call for them is not just, oh, it makes total sense. The gospel call awakens them to actually help them see it is worth it. It is worth responding to this gospel more than anything else in this life. When the soul of a person is quickened in this way, that person is, is seeing the preciousness of Jesus is seeing Jesus as a treasure for the sake of which this person is willing to sell the farm, to say no to everything he had, and entrust his life in the loving hands of Jesus. Friends, when, when the Spirit of God awakens a soul to see that, 
bringing life where there is death. Oh, friends, no person would want to turn to God without this secret work of God of awakening the soul. No one would ever be interested in the kingdom of God in a true and saving way. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some people who actually would respond to God in a selfish way. There are people who would respond to God because of their self-interests. They do respond to God, but only on their terms. They're coming to this table, if you will, of, of hearing God's offer of salvation, and they will pick and choose which parts of it do they like and which ones do they put aside. For many unregenerate people, the call of the gospel is appealing in order to save them from the wrath to come, from hell. A person might respond to that not because of love of God, not because, of their, because they see the preciousness of Jesus, but simply because of the instinct of self-preservation. They just don't want to go to hell. But their hearts are still hardened, and they become, avoid, they become alarmed when they hear about hell, but they would not be born again. I love how one, one person said, in multitudes desire to be saved from hell, the natural instinct of self-preservation, who are quite unwilling to be saved from sin. Other people might, might respond to the gospel with a hardened heart because they believe the promises of prosperity and well-being that the preacher, some preachers of the gospel would promise them, that they, if they come to Jesus, Jesus will make their, their marriages happy. Jesus will make their lives beautiful. Jesus will give them happiness and joy. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? Who wouldn't want to get that? A heart that is unregenerate may want to follow Jesus for those promises and yet do it while still be unregenerate. Do you understand that? So people respond to God not because they've had a change of heart, not because the Spirit has awakened them, but because of self-interest. The other, so, so the regeneration enables us to respond in true repentance and true faith. The last thing the regeneration does to us, or is, is brings visible and lasting results in our lives. If the life of God has been poured into our soul, soul and hearts, if God has truly changed our hearts, if God has cleansed us from the idols of our hearts and enabled us to respond to Him in faith and repentance, that work, that secret work of God, will actually bring forth fruit and fruit that will last. Actually, it is impossible for that work of regeneration to not bring forth fruit or to bring forth fruit that will not last. Friends, I encourage you to go home and read through 1 John. 1 John has a number of examples of using the phrase what it means to be born of God. And how do you know if someone is born of God? I want to read to you just a few of the verses, but go home and read that letter again. It is a wonderful, wonderful test of genuine versus false faith. But here's a few verses. John, 1 John 3, 9 and 10. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Wow. Here's 1 John 2.29. Friends, all of these could be sermons in and of themselves. I'm just reading them to you. 1 John 2.29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 1 John 4.7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. What a beautiful promise. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. 1 John 5, 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Wow. What a beautiful promise. Friends, similar truths are expressed by Jesus in Matthew 7, 23, 22 and 23. 
I love how, how Wayne Grudem describes and, 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 and brings, the, brings the definition of, of what it means to be regenerate. Genuine love for God and His people. Heartfelt obedience to His commands. And the Christ-like character traits that Paul calls a fruit of the Spirit demonstrated consistently over a period of time in a person's life simply cannot be produced by Satan or by the natural man or woman working in his or her own strength. These can only come about by the Spirit of God working within and giving us new life. Here's how J.I. Packer describes regeneration. Regeneration in Christ changes a person's disposition from the lawless, godless, self-seeking that dominates into a disposition of trust and love marked by repentance for past rebelliousness and unbelief and ready, com ready compliance with God's law. Regeneration enlightens a blinded mind to discern spiritual realities and liberates and energizes the enslaved will for free obedience to God. That is regeneration. And our own statement of faith that we read earlier in the service would be a wonderful summary of what regeneration is. So what applications should we take away from this biblical teaching of what regeneration is? Let me give you a few biblical takeaways, a few applications. Regeneration helps us understand what it means to be a Christian. At the end of the day, when people ask, what does it mean to be a Christian? They often look at external things, what Christians do outside, on the, on the, on the outside. They, Christians follow certain rules, and that's true in some way. Absolutely, Christians do follow different rules, the rules of God. But it is possible for some to follow rules very well and yet not be Christians. The external things are not a guarantee that someone is a Christian. So what is a Christian? A Christian is a person who first and foremost has been born from above. Has been born of God. Has been made alive with Christ. And so I wonder, is that you this morning? Is that how you understand what it means to be a Christian? Here's a second way it helps us to understand. Regeneration helps us understand the Christian conversion. Christian conversion is not simply a decision people make. Yes, it involves a decision. Yes, it involves the, the will of man to repent and believe the gospel. But for this conversion to be genuine, it must be preceded by the act of God's regenerating spirit who imparts new life to us and gives us a new disposition to love God and to submit to His ways. Friends, don't confuse a decision for Christ with a need to be regenerate. There are people today who think about others and their decisions who have made a profession of faith a long time ago who are currently not walking with the Lord. Actually, they haven't been walking with the Lord for a very, very long time. Friend, their decision of professing Christ when they were young may not have come from a heart that has been regenerated. Don't confuse someone's decision to follow Jesus or someone's profession, especially when it was a long time ago, with actual regeneration. Now, they could have been. I don't know. But don't simply assume that someone's profession of faith or decision is the same thing as regeneration. They're not. And don't rely on a decision they've made once. You can make a decision without being regenerate. And if you're not regenerate, you're not a Christian. If you are regenerate, you will make a decision for Jesus. That is very true. Friend, you might be here today and wonder about the state of your own soul. You wonder whether or not you have been regenerated. If you have made a profession of a faith long time ago, but you find in your own heart that your pursuit of religion was more on your terms than God's terms, or you find in your own heart that you've never had a warm affection and love for God or love for His Word, or love for his people, or that you've never had a, a hatred for sin and don't remember ever grieving over sin, oh dear, I plead with you. Ask God to 
give you a new heart. It may have been possible that your decision in the past was just a decision, devoid of regeneration. Ask God to show your need to be regenerate, born from above, born of God, and then repent of your sin, the sin of worshiping your own self above God, the sin of trying to follow God on your terms, not God's terms. Friends, don't leave this place without having this matter settled. Time is too short. This matter is too important. Eternity, the state of your soul is too dangerous to go ahead being falsely assured by a conversion that is just human and not divine. If you'd like to know more about, about this response to gospel, a regenerating response to gospel, talk to another believer here in this church. Well, come and talk to me. I would love to talk to you some more. Regeneration, another takeaway, regeneration helps us in how we evangelize. If we understand the truth about regeneration, it helps, it helps us realize that though faith comes from hearing, and we must say the gospel so people will hear it, faith comes by hearing. We also believe that hearing comes by the word of Christ. Only God's Spirit can awaken a sinner to hear the word of Christ in a saving way. It means that the way we evangelize, we should be cautious about spurious professions of faith. Just as Jesus warned people about the cost of discipleship, even while he was speaking to them about what it means to follow him and was encouraging them to follow him, Jesus also told them that if anyone would follow me, he must first deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and then follow. So when we evangelize, we should give people the warning of what it means to follow Jesus. We should give them the cost of following Jesus. Yes, salvation is freely given to us. But once we receive it, it comes with a cost. And here's the important part. An unregenerate heart will turn away from the cost of discipleship. An unregenerate heart will turn away from the words, first deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and then follow. But a heart that has been regenerated by the Spirit of God, a heart who understands the preciousness of Jesus, they will say, all that I have is rubbish compared to the joy of following this Jesus. So presenting the cost is actually a good test to make sure someone understands what the conversion, what, what it means to follow Jesus. Friends, if we understand the truth about regeneration, we will evangelize more faithfully. It will protect us from confusing decisions with true conversions. And the last reason, last takeaway, if we understand regeneration, it will help us understand why we can pursue holiness. It will help us understand why we can pursue holiness. The New Testament command uh, give us commands are ample, very clear that we should pursue holiness without which no one will see God. If we are unregenerate, the thought of pursuing holiness is strange and uncomfortable, and we are reluctantly pursuing it. We might do it for the sake of trying it out, but our hearts are not going to love it. Our hearts are not going to embrace it. But if our hearts have been regenerated by the Spirit of God, we will begin loving the idea of being like God. We will be, love the idea of being like Him. Now, of course, I'm not saying that it will always be a love. It will be a struggle. Life is going to have that, that fight between the sinful nature and the, and the godly nature in us. But we will have a love for being like God, being holy. Not only that, this new birth is the only true foundation on which we can pursue holiness. Some Christian denominations like the Nazarenes or Pentecostal groups seek to have a second baptism or second anointing for the sake of sanctification. But friends, such a view misses the point that our greatest foundation for life, for a life of holiness, is when we're actually born again. It is because of that experience that we have the ability and the desire to pursue holiness. I love how Lloyd-Jones, one of his sermons, relates how people um, would come to him and ask and would say to him, you know, when I first came here 
And, and Lloyd-Jones was a pastor of, of Westminster Chapel in, in England in the 19th century. He, they said, when I first came here, I came assuming that I was a Christian. I had always thought of myself as a Christian. But the first thing I discovered here was that I had never been a Christian at all. Some of them admit that at first they disliked this very much. There came a kind of condemnation, and they resented it. But then they came to the point when they saw it was true, and they thanked God for it. And later they experienced the experience of regeneration and truly became Christians. Friends, I love how Paul describes this regeneration in Titus 3, 4, and 5. I want to leave you with this thought. For when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not because He knew that we would act in righteousness. But according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. May that act of regeneration be in all of our hearts this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise your name for your grace by which you brought us to life. You have awakened our souls we who were once in, in the dungeon of our sins, we were dead in our sins. We were enslaved to sin. Our eyes were blinded to our sin. But there was a day, there was a time, and some of us don't know when that was, when you have awakened our hearts. But we remember that we have been enabled to respond to you in faith and repentance. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for the truth. And we thank you for your act of sovereignly regenerating us to enable your people to act and respond to you in accordance with your ways. We praise you for that, and we ask that you would do that work in many sinners who are still held captive by their sin. We pray that you would grant them the, the gift of regeneration, that they may come to see their sin, repent of their sin, and turn to Christ in faith. May we see that among us in increasing ways. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.